Hey, what's going on guys? Welcome back to the Honest Youth Pastor YouTube channel, the channel that helps believers use biblical discernment in all aspects of life. Today, we are going to do that in one of my favorite ways, and we're going to review a sermon. Now, I... <laughs> Uh, I have to be honest, as always, this is not a, a pastor or a sermon that someone asked to be reviewed. I, uh, because I am in the midst of almost releasing uh, my sort of uh, video essay on Mike Todd and Transformation Church, I, I have to present to you another sermon that I had to watch, or one of many sermons I had to watch, uh, as a background to sort of getting to know the roots of Transformation Church and the roots of Mike Todd. And to do that, I had to go to a place that you probably wouldn't think about, which is Oral Roberts. Um, so this message that we're watching from Oral Roberts, I think is back from 1955, I believe. It'll say so on the video. But the more I've looked into it, um, the Oral Roberts was a central figure in what we now know as uh, the Pentecostal charismatic movement. I mean, he influenced all of the people that are well-known now uh, in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not directly, but definitely um, if you know of T.D. Jakes, if you know of Joyce Myers, if you know of, of that whole crowd, Kenneth Copeland, um, all of these people are highly influenced by Oral Roberts and uh, the theology that he really brought into popularity in his day, in his tent meetings. So let's go ahead over. This is actually pretty short. It's 23 minutes and 40 seconds. A ton of this isn't actually even a sermon. Um, I, I know some of the later sermons he did were a lot longer. From what I can tell, a lot of his tent meeting sermons were super short as far as the message goes. And then he usually had like a healing service afterwards. So half of this is a healing service. We're going to go ahead and watch some of it and just comment on it. Uh, but I think uh, the message part that he brings out here is interesting. And it really does tell us a lot about how at least the Oral Roberts sort of line of theology thinks about particular scriptures. So um, let's go ahead and hop into it. Now, one thing in case you're new to these sermon review videos, one of the things that I always do uh, is look at three things in a particular sermon. The first one is, do they read the text? The second one is, do they exegete the text using culture and context to bring out uh, what's in the text as well as application? And three, do they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? These are the three things we use on every single sermon review. Um, and so if you want to do that as you watch videos or in your own particular church, down below there will actually be a link for a free downloadable PDF guide to assist you in doing that uh, in your own local congregation as well. Uh, as well as there's a bunch of other links down there too. One of the ways that we're even able to do this is because of the very generous patrons that we have. And there's a Patreon link down below as well if you would like to use that. So, okay. All that being said, let's go ahead and hop over to the review screen and uh, get right to this Oral Roberts. Um, it's called Anointing for Deliverance. Um, there will be a touch in here. Uh, I mean, I'll comment more on it when we get there. There will be a touch in here on deliverance ministries then versus now, which will be fairly interesting to talk about. Um, let's go ahead and go. Millions of people of all faiths come to this great tent to be saved healed and witness to what faith in God can do. Some of the things you're about to see 
some of the healings may seem strange if you have not been reading your Bible. For Christ has commanded us to preach and to heal. So to assure you that you're seeing these things as they actually happened, I have put this assurance in the form of a legal affidavit. A copy of this affidavit, duly signed, notarized, and certified, has been placed on file in the Florence County Courthouse, Florence, South Carolina. And now, I invite you into the great tent cathedral for one of the four services filmed in Florence. Well, now, ladies and gentlemen, it's my happy privilege and pleasure to present the man that God has raised up with a message for your deliverance. God's man for this hour, the Reverend Oral Roberts. I love... I love the intro, right? He can't just already be on stage. He has to, like, enter through the door. God's man for the hour. Oral Robert. I feel like that's what would be playing now if that was it. Anyway, so two things. One, apparently, and I don't come from a charismatic or Pentecostal background. So Oral Roberts, to me, I knew about Oral Roberts University. But apparently back in the day, this dude had like huge tent revivals, like enormous tent revivals. He would call it the tent cathedral. And like hundreds and thousands of people would come out to hear him speak. But really more so, I think, for the healing and deliverance part, because apparently that played an enormous role in what he did in his ministry when he went around talking to people. So anyway... I also find it interesting that he had a signed affidavit uh, about like, oh, these are these things that you watch really happen. They are not edited at all um, to give it like some sort of like extra validity. Uh, it is interesting to me as far as I know, none of the deliverance ministries that occur now do that. None of them are like, hey, check us legally on this. Like nobody does that. Or Roberts was a little bit more, uh, I guess, you know, uh, uh, forward about that sort of thing. Uh, so anyway, here we go. Oral Roberts. Dun, 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 dun. Now then, tonight, I invite your attention to the Word of God for the sermon. This is perhaps the most unusual and important sermon I've ever given in my ministry, titled The Conflict of... De Don't you, Isn't it always interesting, and I'm sorry to interrupt here, isn't it always interesting that... At events like this, uh, or like at conferences, it's all the, the person that's up is always like, "This is the most important thing I have ever said." I know I have said that before, but now this is the newest, importantest thing I have ever said, and I will probably say the same thing next week. But right now, this is the most importantest messagest I have ever given. Right? It's always the newest, bestest thing. Always. It's never, "Hey guys." Here, let's open the Bible. It's always, this is the most important thing. You must listen. Anyway, here we go. He's about to give us the text of the scripture. And as always, I will have us turn to there. But So just listen closely. Demons in the human mind and spirit. I wish to read the words of Christ in Matthew 10, 1 and 7. Okay, so let's go ahead there because that's important. He's going to go to Matthew chapter 10. Now, if you caught that, he said he wants to read from Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 and verse 7, which means he's going to skip some things. So before he gets into it, 
I want to read that for you. Let's read that together. I would assume if you are able and not driving that you will open your Bibles and read this with me. But it says, And he called to him his twelve apostles and gave them authority over unclean spirits and to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go uh, nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopard, cast out demons, you received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics or sandals uh, or your staff, uh, and the labor deserve, for the laborer deserves his food. And whenever you go to a town or village, you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. You, uh, I'm sorry, as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace be come upon them. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will receive you or listen to your word, shake off the, or I'm sorry, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your word, shake off the dust of your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable to, uh, on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Now, so that's the full, that's one, that's uh, chapter 10 verses 1 through 15. There's still more um, there, but I think that'll give us sort of the the general gist. I mean, it gives us the feel of what's happening. Jesus has brought the 12 to him, specifically those 12, and said, hey, go do this thing, and this is how you're to do this thing. These are the people you're supposed to go to. These are the people you're not supposed to go to. This is what you're supposed to take. This is what you're not supposed to take. This is what you're, you know, you're supposed to do as far as receiving or giving. This is what you're not supposed to, like, it's, it's basic instructions to the 12, and then he gives them, um, the authority over unclean spirits. So now that we know the text, and this is why it's always important to go there first um, and see where the pastor is reading from, let's hear what Oral Robert says about this text. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. As you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Also in the book of Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 43, when the unclean spirit... Okay, so also, notice how he just, he read just verses 1 and 7, skipped out all the rest of that. Go to Matthew chapter 12, and he's going to take us to verse 43, right? So we have to understand, I'm going to let him read it because we've already stopped him, but... Then we'll come back and look at the context. Spirit is gone out of a man. He walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. And Christ added these significant words, even so, 
shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Okay, so that's what he read. He's about to go into a whole thing. I don't know how cut together this is, this sermon is. There may be more context here that has been cut out. Every version of this sermon I can find on YouTube is cut the same way. So it must have been how Oral Roberts presented it. That being said, the context of that verse 43 in verse in chapter 12 actually starts all the way back at verse 22. It says, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, him being Jesus, healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. And knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself can stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will this kingdom stand? And then they go into this whole other thing, and then we get down. Obviously, there's a whole much more we could read here, but then we get down to verse 43. When the unclean spirit has gone out from a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to the house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. And it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last is uh, the last day of the person is worse than the first. So it will be with this evil generation. Now, if we go within the full context of this, and I'm not going to bear this out all the way because this could be an hour-long sermon or an hour-long video by itself. Jesus is clearly dealing with the Pharisees and their, their issue with him casting out demons. They say, you're not doing this by the power of God. Jesus ends this here as far as this description um, and this sort of, not really a parable, but a word picture by connecting it specifically and saying, so as it will be with this evil generation saying that it's it's not he's not specifically speaking particularly of an individual person or the person he just cast the demons out of though he sort of makes that connection but overall he seems to be painting a bigger picture of this generation this generation in Israel that they are uh, he's doing works among them and there seems to be some change but they're not accepting him and this seems to tie in that if they don't then their state afterwards will be worse than it already was before him them not accepting him will actually put them in a worse position than they were before he even came again there's a whole lot that could be going on there but this what i'm trying to point out in in chapter 10 when he reads verses 1 and 7 as well as when he goes to chapter 12 and reads just verse 43 uh, through 45 is that he's purposefully selecting specific verses and leaving out the rest, right? So we'll see this as we keep going. I'm not going to take up your whole time here because I, I want to make sure we let him speak. But I wanted you to see that at the beginning. He's very intentional in only including certain verses. Now, I want to speak to you on the conflict of demons in the human mind and spirit. In a strange, mysterious way... The human mind and spirit are breaking down, becoming abnormal and unbalanced, filled with unresolved frustrations, festering fears, and unresolved conflicts. The tormented mind of man <clears throat> is hanging in the balance. All over the world, a strange thing is taking place. The mind of man somehow 
is not coping with that tremendous word called conflict. The psychologists have two names for this condition in the mind and spirit of man. Neurosis and psychosis. In neurosis, the person is filled with conflict, but he does not lose contact with reality. In psychosis, he is filled with conflict, but he does lose contact with reality. And always the key word is conflict. Now, there is really no conflict between medical science and the word of God. There is a different interpretation along some lines. They have different names for different things. And I come to you tonight saluting the world of psychology for the great strides they are making in treating mental illness. And I leave that treatment to them and wish them well. I am going into the Word of God to tell you what the Bible has to say about the torment of the human mind and spirit. When Christ was upon this earth, he came against the divided nature of man, against the evil spirit that pursued his steps against the festering fear that tormented his life. Christ came in his own undivided, healthy personality with the anointing of God upon his mind, spirit, and flesh. He came in the fullness of the Godhead bodily to set the human mind, spirit, and body free. He came to heal all manner of sickness and disease. And incidentally, he gave power to his disciples to heal. And he used this description to heal all manner of sickness, all manner of disease, and over against all unclean spirits. These disciples went out and returned with great joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Now the Bible gives us fourfold power over demons. Christ said, I give unto you power over against all unclean spirits. What kind of power? Okay, so again, now he's getting back into, or he's going to at least make an appeal to chapter 10, right? As as far as the gave them authority uh, over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. This is the appeal he's going to make. Um, so here we go. First, the power of discerning. So that's nowhere in here. I just want to make sure he's, he's going to make a big point of this. The power of discerning. Um, we don't have any indication as far as, um, discerning, uh, unclean spirits, right? He's just, says he called to him, his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction, right? That's what it says. Now he's going to go into this weird, um, ability to discern, uh, unclean spirits that he apparently has. Um, that we don't have any backing for at all. Um, but let's let him say that, and then I want to say something else. And we must be able to discern the existence and the presence of demons in order to know what causes this particular abnormality or the conflict of spirit. I said a while ago that the key word is conflict. It is this nature that's warring against itself, warring against God. And don't you forget this tonight. The battle over the human race is not between the United States and Russia. It is not between two men, the ruler of Russia and the ruler of America. It is not between nations. 
The battle is between Jesus Christ of Nazareth and the devil. And neighbor Jesus Christ is going to win. He's winning now. He'll be winning tomorrow. And so that, that's the weird thing, right? So we have at the resurrection, or actually we have at the crucifixion. It is finished. We have at the resurrection the declare of victory over sin and death. Um, it's not even a battle, bro. <laughs> but in this line of thought, Satan is always attacking the believer. Um, it is always, you know, the bad things that happen, at least within Oral Roberts thinking, it seems. And I'm reading a bit into this, this particular message, but watching quite a few of his messages, it seems that there's this idea that, well, anything bad that happens to you is an attack of Satan on you. Um, and that, you know, Jesus and the devil are duking it out. And sometimes the devil gets the upper hand and other times Jesus gets the upper hand, but don't worry. Jesus is eventually going to win guys. We read the end of the book sort of situation. Like it's, it's a matter of there's already like <laughs> there's victory because of the resurrection. Jesus is already like, he's already done it. So, I mean, that doesn't mean that sin doesn't still have its effect. That doesn't mean there aren't still consequences of the sin that we're dealing with now. We have an already but not yet kingdom in that sense. But it's not that the Jesus, that Jesus and the devil are duking it out every day. And, you know, we're just sitting here going, I don't know who's going to win. And we are on the winning side tonight. Amen. We are given the power of discernment. One must have this power to discern. I discern the presence of demons by the Spirit of God in my life. The Lord said to me, from this hour you'll cast out demons and heal the sick by my power. He gave me this discerning power. I discern them by the Spirit of God that comes in my hand. When I put my hand upon a person, and if I'm anointed, I can discern whether that person has a demon or not. Usually I know how many demons, the kind of demons, the name of the demons, and how long the person has been demon-possessed. Oral Roberts is not only the deliverance minister of his day, right? But he's got like way more like, he's like, <laughs> he's, he's way more powered up than the, de uh, than the deliverance ministers of today. Like, I don't, I haven't heard any of them, like, right, Kathleen Crick or any of these other people that, you know, say they can cast out demons. Um, I have not heard any of them make that claim, right? They know the names of the demons. They know how many demons, like none of them know that. Um, but Oral Roberts in his, I think it's his right hand, just his right hand. Uh, now, to give him credit, he never changes that story as far as I know. Like he is, he, he's consistent in saying that God told him he could cast out demons. He gave him the power in his hand, and that's the hand that does it. So, consistency. This is something I cannot explain. It came to me by the power of God, and I have prayed for thousands upon thousands of these cases, and in many instances, the Lord has set them free and made them whole. Oh, people, when the power of God comes into a human being, it changes things. It takes away that neurosis, that psychosis, that divided nature, that abnormality, that, that uh, breakdown. The power of God solidifies and unifies and sets free both in mind, spirit, and flesh. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Where does that bring us tonight? First, they must be discerned, and second, Christ gives us power to cast them out. He said, I give unto you power 
I give you power over against all unclean spirits to... Okay, so his first point is that he that that God gives us discernment of the spirits. Now, apparently, uh, according to Oral Roberts, like the discernment, he could tell how many and you know how long they've been there. I don't know if that's the bar for knowing if you have the discernment to be able to tell about evil spirits, but that's his bar, and he can't tell you how he got it other than just God gave, gave it to him, so hopefully God gives it to you. The second thing he says is that God gave us the ability to cast out demons, but he ignores who it's directly attributed to. I mean, it's not just a matter of it. That's the, it's not that Matthew says, you know, God called his disciples together, right? And then doesn't name them because there was a lot of people that followed Jesus. There was a lot of disciples. There was the 70 that, that Christ sent out as well. Um, in Matthew's text, he specifically names the 12. So it's not a general proclamation to, you know, a generic set of disciples. It's a specific proclamation to a specific set of disciples. Now, we'll talk about that in a minute, you know, opposed or with, you know, the Great Commission, because it's specific 11 at the Great Commission that Jesus sends out. So then the question becomes, well, is it just those 11 that are supposed to do that then? Um, I would say language wise, there's a lot, there's different things happening between the, the proclamation for Jesus that tells them to go out versus what he says in the Great Commission. Specifically here, he's giving them the authority to do a specific thing. In the Great Commission, he's given the 11 a specific task of going and doing this. And it's sort of built in that if they're going to go teach others to follow the, the teachings of Christ, that those that they teach will do the same thing. Versus here in, in uh, chapter 10, he gives them the authority over very specific things to go to a very specific people to do a very specific thing. Those, I think, are two different instances. So whereas the Great Commission seems to be this idea of like this, this sort of waterfall effect that when you do this, the people you you know disciple and teach will also go and disciple and teach. Versus in, in 10 here, I'm giving you a very specific set of tasks to a very specific set of people to do a very specific set of things. Um, but Oral takes that out of chapter 10, uh, specifically does not read verses two through six, which are incredibly important to the context of what's going on. And then because he takes that completely out and uses just verse one, he then applies it to himself, obviously, but everyone that he's speaking to in the audience as well. It's just completely, it, it's, it's very, I mean, 1955 version of Jesus here. This is all about you. This is about you having the power. How do you know you have the power? Because there's a verse here that I've not given you the full context to that says you do. Cast them out. To whom does he give this power? To the followers of Jesus Christ to believe in his name. These signs shall... That's okay. Now he's about to read... Um, Mark. So let's, he doesn't, he doesn't reference this. Okay. But you need to go to Mark chapter, um, 16. And, uh, he's going to be at the very end in verses 17 and 18, what he's going to refer to. Okay. Just so we know, because so he does this really interesting trick here, uh, either deliberately or not. I don't know. But he's only read Matthew 10, verses 1 and 7, and Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, uh, I think it's verse 43 and 44 or something around there. It's the 40s. And those are the ones he's read out loud to us. Now, unless something's been edited here in this sermon, the way he presented it, 
what he's doing now is saying something from Scripture, Matthew, or rather Mark chapter 16, the very end, and presenting it as if it was in the text that he read before. And if he's, if he's doing that on purpose, that's incredibly disingenuous. Or he's saying something that he assumes they know about. But anyway, let's, let's hear him out, and then we're going to get to the, the text in Matthew. Follow them that believe in my name shall they cast out devils. That is the word of God. When a demon is cast out, he is gone. Okay, so <laughs> I know I'm interrupting a ton, but this is very important that we see this. So Mark chapter 16, rather, verse 14. I'll start there. After he appeared, to, oh, I'm sorry, uh, where are we at? All right, actually, what we need to do is Mark chapter 16, verse 9. Now, in your Bibles, and this is, again, this is a, something that we could make an entire video on. Maybe we need to one day um, to do that. But Mark chapter 16, starting at verse 9, your Bible should, if it's, um, if it's well-resourced and being really honest, uh, will tell you that the earliest manuscripts of Mark we have stop at verse 8. Now, there are enough uh, there are enough manuscripts that have the evidence of verses 9 through the end of Mark to include it here, but most of your Bibles should have some sort of notation saying that verses 9 uh, through uh, 20 aren't included in the earliest of manuscripts. Now again, the, the amazing thing that, uh, that we have as believers is we have lots and lots and lots of manuscripts of the, the, the Gospels. Um, so we're able to do textual criticism here and be honest about the fact that, hey, you know, what do we have? What do we don't have? What's different amongst them? Is there like, you know, copying areas? Like there's a lot of very interesting things you can get into when you look at manuscripts and uh, textual criticism. But we have to acknowledge that this isn't in the earliest ones, as well as um, there's a note that I'll, I'll talk about here in a minute of that. But anyway, if you go to the bottom, there's a lot of going on. We'll start at verse 14 in Matthew chapter 16, because this is in the middle of the text. that's not included in all of the manuscripts. It says, after he appeared to the 11 himself, as they were uh, reclining at table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they shall cast out demons. They shall speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink uh, any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will... Uh, I'm sorry, they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, had taken, uh, was taken up to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out preaching everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the accompany, accompanying signs. This, this section is a favorite section of the Pentecostal charismatic movement, uh, especially like people like Oral Roberts and that strain. Now, I think, again... You have to have this wrestle with, and you have to have this discussion. And I, I would encourage you to do the research on the, the, you know, the the ending of Mark. It's a very interesting discussion to have. Um, but that being said, um, there is one quote here I want to pull up. This is actually from uh, the Holman New Testament commentary. Um, I, I just found this interesting about this text. I'll just share it with you real quick. 
Uh, just a word of caution, says the commentary. The person who takes up snakes to prove his or her faith is yielding to the temptation of Satan presented to Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple in Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. Satan said, in effect, cast yourself down and see if God will take care of you. Satan wants us to, quote, show off our faith and force God to perform unnecessary miracles. Warren Wisby puts it well when he says this, Jesus refused to tempt God and we should follow his example. Yes, God cares for his children when he is uh, in his will. They are, I'm sorry. Yes, God cares for his children when in his will, they are in dangerous places, but he is not obligated to care for us when we are foolishly, uh, when we foolishly get out of his will. We are called to live by faith, not by chance and to trust in God and not to tempt him. Um, that is from, uh, again, Warren Wisby. I thought that was a very, um, very helpful quote in the sense that um, it holds the tension that says this text could be and obviously is included in a lot of later manuscripts and was read uh, in the early churches. Um, at the same time, you don't um, you don't play like with fire in that regard. It's not like you're out here drinking poison to prove that Jesus is real. It's not like you're out here taking serpents and, you know, having them bite you to prove that, oh, well, look, Jesus is real. Um, there are clearly times and places where God will intervene in order to show his power. We have a ton of testimonies from early church history uh, that read kind of crazy uh, of people being delivered from things that are just astronomically like out there. Um, but in so doing, uh, people are converted and believe in Jesus, but it's not like that happens every time. Um, it's in particular situations that God seems to move and to save people in odd situations that they shouldn't be saved from, but he does use you know, that particular moment to save people. Um, the point being is Oral Roberts is using this as a blanket statement. This will always occur. This will always happen. And my biggest concern and how he uses this is he doesn't tell you where it's at. Uh, he doesn't give you the, hey, not, some of the earliest manuscripts don't have, like he, he's not concerned about context and culture and giving you the information you need to discern for yourself. Uh, he's very much interested in laying down this very blanket idea that you have been given the power to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And if you deny that, you deny the scriptures is essentially what he's saying, which is just, just nutso. Uh, anyway, let's keep going. And the power of Christ takes his place. Yes. Third, we're given... Christ prayed for these people and cast out the demon. He forbade the demon to come back, which meant it could not come back. Now, we always do that. We urge the person who is delivered to go to church, to read his Bible or her Bible, to serve God, lest the worst thing come. Now the demon... Now you see what he did there, right? So now he's referring back to Matthew chapter 12 as this literal thing. You have to go to church, you have to read your Bible, or, you know, something worse could happen to you than before, which is not how it's presented when you read Matthew chapter 12, that entire context. I'd encourage you to do that. The point is that he's taking the scripture and twisting it into saying things that it doesn't say, and using church attendance and Bible reading as some sort of works-based way to keep demons out of you. He always tries to come back, and he always seeks reinforcement. He goes out and gets other spirits more wicked than he is, and comes back to re-enter that individual. And that's why that a person should put on the whole armor of God. 
He should be fortified by God's power. He should not trust to himself. He should seek God and quit the old ways and go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon him. Then I come to the fourth form of power that God or Christ gives us against unclean spirits, and that is the shed blood of Christ. First, we have power to discern. Second, power to cast out. Third, power to forbid their return. And fourth, we have the shed blood of Christ. Okay, so the third was to forbid their return. Again, he, he's taking Matthew chapter 10, two verses, and then just shoving them together with Matthew chapter 12 uh, and the few verses he has there and just going, this is one thing, this makes sense. When the text is specifically laid out in a particular way for a particular reason, you can't just take one here, a verse here, a verse there, and a verse there and smash them together and make them mean something and form some sort of odd doctrine off of it. I don't know what to tell you if you think that's okay. That's not how the text presents itself to be interacted with. That is just not. <laughs> you can't you can't pull I could pull a variety of different verses out of a variety of different places and make the scripture say anything I wanted it to, if that's the rules that we're playing with. It's just that's it's crazy. Christ to cover our souls, minds, and bodies. But my friend, listen carefully to me tonight. No demon can cross the bloodline. If the blood of Christ is on your soul, you're as safe as God is safe. For no demon can cross the bloodline. If the blood of Christ is on your soul, you are safe from demon power. Okay, so this is where Oral Roberts' difference from the deliverance ministries of today. So he is straight up saying like, hey, there's a bloodline. Like, I don't know if you, if your grandmas were my grandma and watched TBN uh, when you were little, but I heard this whole bloodline talk all the time because like John Hagee, uh, those guys came up in Oral Roberts University and like they use this terminology all the time, the bloodline, the bloodline, the bloodline. Oh my goodness, all the time with the bloodline, even though there's no textual backing for this bloodline talk. But the point is they used it. But this is where Oral Roberts differs from the deliverance ministries of today. He's all about casting out evil spirits. But he is like 100% on this idea that if you're a believer, you can't have a demon because the demon can't come into you because you are Christ. Like there's a bloodline there. Whereas the <laughs> next level deliverance ministries of today are like, no, you can be a Christian, have a demon for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, it's just funny how the consistent, there's just no consistency in this, in this nonsense at all. Um, I'll say more on that in a minute, but the point is like, I just want to show you the difference, how this idea has developed throughout time, right? I mean, in 1955, you can't get more Pentecostal really than Oral Roberts. Like he is the po poster child, the, the, the face on the, on the poster of this is what it means to, you know, be Pentecostal. And, um, you have people today going like even beyond that. Um, anyway, so he, his, his three tenets sticking to the sermon is that you have the power for deliverance, uh, uh, to be able to discern. You have the power to cast out demons. You have the power to make sure the demon doesn't come back. And no neurosis, no psychosis can hold you for the blood of Christ is efficacious against the power of evil. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Every head bowed, please. Okay, there was obviously a cut there. So I'm sure there's more to this sermon that we don't have.
So I just want to be frank and honest about that part. Now, friends, while your head's about, listen to me. I want every man and every woman to listen to me tonight and do as I tell you. If you will, the Lord will save you tonight. If you don't, there's nothing I can do to help you. And now I want every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl who believes in my prayers tonight, and you want my prayers for your soul to be saved, that you may know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are saved, and you want me to pray for you tonight, take the first step, please, in his name right now, and raise up your right hand quickly. Raise up your right hand quickly. Hundreds and hundreds of hands tonight. Please take them down. Now, will you take the second step so I can help you? I want every man and woman, every boy and second step in his name, please, right now. And stand on your feet for my prayer. Please stand right So here's the thing. If you, if you listen to enough Oral Roberts, which I've listened to too much Oral Roberts, um, what you're going to note is at the end, it's always to stand for my prayer. If you want my prayer, if you want me to pray for you, do this or that. I don't know. Uh, I haven't, I probably could reach out to some older people in my church, maybe some older people I know to ask them, you know, Oral Roberts, how do people view him in, you know, the fifties? It seems to me that he was seen very much as this, like, um, I wouldn't say like Messiah like figure, but this like anointed individual. Like if, if you had the choice between your pastor this guy over here or Oral Roberts to pray for you, you'd pick Oral Roberts because for whatever reason you, there was this idea and he sort of presents it this way that, you know, his prayer is more powerful than right. Uh, somebody else's. I mean, if you had the, if you could have Billy Graham and Oral Roberts pray for you, my goodness gracious, would you be, you know, you'd be super Christian at that point. Um, but it's just presented like that. My prayer, if you want me to pray for you, if you want this thing, you know, it's just kind of, like it's only here. Like this is the same sort of talk that we see now within a lot of, you know, um, well, I'll just say it, charismatic Pentecostal, like mega church pastors, this idea that it's only here. The power is here. Like don't miss your moment now, because if you miss your moment now, you've missed the moment. Um, it's just sort of, it's a strange idea that you don't like there's, you don't see this within um, like, acts right like yeah they're going around and they're healing and they're they're delivering people and they're praying for one another but it's not like there's never this you're going to miss your moment um sort of idea now and they're getting up all over this tent that's wonderful keep getting up keep getting up please we have a place in front of me here at the platform where you may come up and stand and i'm going to pray for you don't sit back down Come down the aisle right now so I can pray for you. Come on. Now, I want you there in your home to join me as I pray for these many hundreds of people who wish to be saved. They're going to repeat with me. Here's the thing. Saved from what? Okay, that, that's the question I have. So, so far, again, admittedly, this video seems to be cut together. But again, the other versions of this exact same message that I've seen are all cut the same way. So whoever cut it originally, I'm assuming Oral Roberts Ministries, did it this way. So I can't attest for what is or is not or has not been said or shown in this video. But from what I can tell, right, 
This idea of if these people have come to be saved, and if you want to be saved, you're going to repeat this prayer too. Saved from what, though? So far, all we've heard about is demon possession. So the assumption is then that I want to be saved from some sort of psychosis. He's mentioned that a few times. Maybe I want to be saved from demon possession. He's mentioned that. Maybe I want to be saved from illness. He's mentioned that a kind of as a side note. But what am I saved from? We haven't talked about sin at all. We haven't talked about being reconciled with the Father at all. We haven't talked about any of that. That is all, that's just a, not even a thought far off. Like we haven't even mentioned it. So saved from what? Well, the only evidence we're going to have is uh, saved from the, like, so the, the words we use in this prayer are going to be what we're going to have to use as some sort of like, all right, well, this should tell us that what we're going to be saved from. So what does the prayer say? Be the sinner's prayer or the prayer of a person who wants to change his life and live for Christ. I want you friends standing here, raise your right hand, please. And you there in your room, put up your right hand. Don't be ashamed. Cooperate with me now. The Lord will be... So admittedly, he did say save from sin and change his life for Christ. Okay, so we've mentioned sin, but what is sin? Like, what is sin then? Reach out his hand and save you. Put up your hand. All together now, repeat this prayer. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, be merciful, be merciful to me, to me, a sinner. A save my soul, save my soul from all sin. All sin. Come into my heart, come into my heart and make me thy child. And make me thy child. Forgive my sins. And save me right now. I receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Live for Him forever. In His name, Amen. If you meant it, say Amen. Say praise God. Live for Him the rest of your life. Listen. Listen to me. Okay, so... This is the issue I have with the sinner's prayer. Anybody can repeat that. Like it, anybody can repeat that. So in so far as we've seen in the sermon, if there's this idea, oh, there's demons out there or there's illness out there or there's things out there that, you know, are against God. Well, I don't want those things. I would rather have Jesus and not be demon possessed. If that's the reason someone's coming forward, that's concerning. You, like you don't understand, like you don't understand your own sin. You don't understand uh, what that sin means between you and God the Father. You don't understand the cross. You don't understand the death of Jesus. You don't understand the resurrection. Like, not that you have to understand all of those things to become saved. Um, they're very important, though. I mean, technically, you you do, I guess, need to. Under, I'm sorry. Let me take that back. You do need to understand that you're a sinner in need of salvation, and that Jesus pays the price for you. So yeah, you do. You do need to know those things. And so <laughs> coming up and repeating a prayer that says those things, but doesn't understand what's behind them is, I mean, you could pledge your allegiance to anybody, right? I mean, it's like pledging your allegiance to the flag. Lots of people, I don't even know if they, I, I don't know if they do that in schools anymore. I'm assuming they do. I don't know. But the point is anybody could do that and not mean it. Right, you're just repeating along with everyone else some incantation of "I I believe this thing" when you may not. Um, it's just kind of crazy. If you feel the Lord has saved you, I want you to write me a letter. Say, Brother Roberts, the Lord saved me during your prayer. I want to know about it. 
And if you did not feel better, if you don't feel that God has saved you, write me so I can pray for you again. Write me. My address is Oral Roberts, Tulsa, Oklahoma. The saving of your soul is the greatest miracle in the whole world. Write me, Oral Roberts, Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> just, just send it. He's the only Oral Roberts in all of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Just, we don't need an address. It'll show up at Tulsa, and everybody will know where it goes. We don't need an address. Just Oral Roberts, Tulsa, Oklahoma. It'll get there. Now I'd like to invite you to join me tonight with your prayers and faith as I start offering prayer to God for the healing of the sick. Okay, so we're not going to watch this whole thing. Like, as always, this video is going to be linked below for you to go watch if you want. We're actually at um, minute mark 14 minutes and 10 seconds in the video. I do want to watch one of these, though, to demonstrate the difference between then and now. Um, just how different it is. But anyway, let's, let's watch one, and then we'll kind of end with our thoughts. People are here from all over America, from many states in this nation. Many of them have been given up to die. And this, in some instances, is their last resort. There is no conflict between medical science and healing by faith in God, because all are striving for the same end. And it is not I who heals, it's God. When someone in this line is healed, it's God's power that does it. And I want you to join me. Open your heart. Have faith in God. In a few minutes, I'm going to reach out my hand and pray for you right there. I know God's able to heal you. All you friends here in the audience, join me tonight. Open your hearts to God. He's able to reach out and heal you there in your chair. If you believe it, say amen. All right, Brother Deweese, I'm ready. Tell me your name, please. Guy Griffith. What? Guy Griffith. Guy Griffith? Yeah. Where are you from, Guy? Barely, West Virginia. Is this your first campaign to be in, Guy? No, I was in Hope. And you have come here that you might be fully and completely delivered from epilepsy. Yeah. Have you faith in God, Guy? Yeah. Are you living a life for God? Yes. Yeah. You are definitely saved by his power. I'm saved under your ministry. Well, if you're oh, saved under my ministry, I know you're saved. <laughs> See? Oh my goodness. Okay, so in case you can't hear, because it's not super clear, this guy apparently has uh, epilepsy. Uh, he suffers from uh, episodes of epilepsy. And so Oral is going through this random just asking of questions. And the, one of the things is, are you really saved? And he says, well, I was saved under your ministry. And Oral, well, if you were saved under my ministry, you must be saved then, right? So it's it's not this. That's It doesn't matter if you repeated a prayer, brother. Do you know the person of Jesus Christ? Has he changed your life? Are you being sanctified by the Spirit? Do you understand that you've been reconciled to the Father? Like, there's all these other things that he could ask. But nah, man, you you were at a tent revival. It saved under my ministry. You were saved. It, this, it, it gives, um, <laughs> it gives uh, Kenneth Copeland vibes is what it gives when he says something like that. So uh, let's go ahead and see the rest of this. <laughs> Audience, bow your heads a moment. Thou tormentors that binding, I adjure you by Christ. Come out to this boy, Lucy. Okay, so he, just so we're really clear, 
he's attributing the epilepsy to demons. Okay. So just so you know, cause that's what he, he's talking to, you know, those that didn't treat this boy come out of him now. So he's, he's attributing epilepsy to demons. There's a whole conversation we could have on that. Either. I'm not going to get into it right now. The whole point that I want to bring attention to is that Oral Roberts is claiming to cast demons out of this individual. And what I want you to see is the difference between Oral Roberts deliverance ministry and think about the deliverance ministries that you see today. So assuming that demons haven't, you know, you know, demons act the same, um, this kid should start screaming and they should grab a bucket and he should be able to like cough the demon up in a bucket or fall down and convulse or there's all sorts of things that this kid could do. Let's see what happens. Enter into him no more as long as he lives. Audience, raise your heads a minute. Guy, those things have really been powerful in you, haven't they? Yes, I had one Sunday night. Was it bad? The Lord told me that I would be healed after it. After this last convulsion which you had Sunday night, the Lord told you you would be healed told after me. it. All right, audience, one more time. Okay, so... So this kid is assuming that the epilepsy is a medical condition. You're going to be healed after, after, so he, I'm sorry, in case you can hear it, let me recap real quick. Oral Roberts asked the, this gentleman, so you've literally been tormented by them referring to demons, right? And the kid says, well, I, you know, I've had, I had a epileptic seizure just this last, I think he said Sunday night, but the Lord told him that after that epileptic seizure, he would be healed, right? So the language that he's using versus the language that Oral Roberts is using are two different things. We're talking about healing versus deliverance. He's approaching it, the kid that has epilepsy is approaching it as a medical condition. Oral Roberts is approaching it as a demonic possession and that he's trying to cast these epileptic demons out of this individual. So how is he going to react? Let's see. Oh God, grant me this miracle according to thy will in heaven by the power of the name of Christ. Heal him. They're coming out. They're coming out now. Heal him. God, they're out of there. Thank you, God. Forbid them ever to come back in the name of Christ. <laughs> God, how do you feel now? I feel good. Oh, that's Thank what I'm... God. <laughs> you think you'll ever have another convulsion? Oh, I'll never have another. Why? Oh, it's gone. It's gone in Jesus' yeah. name. That's the power of God, guy. God bless you and go with you now. Yes, we're so glad you're here tonight. Okay, so that's the, the only one we're going to do. There was no bucket involved. There was no coughing involved. There was really no convulsion. I couldn't tell if it was... Um, so, Or Roberts pushes on the kid, right? And then he kind of goes back, and his arms go down and forward on his knees. And I can't tell if the kid's shaking or if Or Roberts' knees are shaking and shaking the arms. I can't tell. Neither here nor there. The point is, the demons were way, way chiller in 1955 than they are now. I mean, they're acting out of pocket now, throwing people all over the ground and coughing in buckets. <laughs> Look, I'll say this before we get to the end. I'm not saying demons aren't real. Clearly, we have, I mean, scripture is very clear that there is, there is uh, sp spirits that are against Christ. We see Christ interact with them continually. But we, what we also see is that they're scared to death of Jesus. They're also, when we see an act, Simon the Magician, they could care less about somebody saying something in the name of Jesus that isn't actually, uh, you know, a, a follower or disciple of him. 
Um, so like there's clearly, um, spiritual warfare happening. Um, but this idea that, you know, it's some, it's just crazy. So let's, let's end with this. Um, the three things we look for one, did he read the scripture? No, he did not read the scripture. He was very, very vague and particular about what he read. He even, uh, does not mention the Mark 16 at all, but reads it in as if it's part of the scriptures he's read before. So no, he doesn't read the scripture. So two is sort of out of the question. Does he use context and culture to execute the scriptures? Uh, not absolutely not, not even close. Um, in fact, he goes out of his way to avoid using the context found in Matthew in particular. Um, and then lastly, does he declare the gospel of Christ? No, we have a generic prayer prayed at the end um, that doesn't, actually walk us through what sin is or, you know, what's involved or like, it's just not at all. Like it's, it's, it's a generic sinner's prayer that doesn't explain sin, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, any of it doesn't explain any of it. So no, it was terrible. So that being said, um, it's very interesting to see this particularly from Oral Roberts, because there's an entire theological line of thought that comes out of this man's university that now affects millions, millions of people because of the people that have come out of his university. Um, you have Joel Olstein graduating from Oral Roberts. You have T.D. Jakes that has been associated with people from Oral Roberts ministry. Um, you have, uh, I think, John Hagee came out of Oral Roberts uh, University. You have Joyce Myers that has, I think, a master's degree from Oral Roberts University. You have all these people um, that are influencing millions of people coming from a line of thought of this man that we just saw um, that clearly manipulated scripture. So anyway, there's that. Hopefully that was helpful. Again, uh, we should very soon get back to the list of people that you guys have recommended. If you want to recommend anyone, you could put them down below. Uh, but I've been very involved in putting together this, um, this video essay of Mike Todd and Transformation Church. And when that does get done, I'll link that in this video description so you can go watch that as well if you'd like. So hopefully this is helpful. If it was, make sure you like it. Make sure you give me some feedback if you, you know, found something wrong with it and share it with people if you think they need to see it. Thank you guys for all you do. And I'll talk to you next time.